Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Welcome to another episode of the Deepwater Podcast. Last time we listened to Dan McNaughton, and you heard a lot about the story of how he came to begin making disciples and how he began to understand that and kind of the process God took him through. Today you're going to hear a lot more as he talks on and goes ahead and shares stuff about how they planted a church, how disciple-making affected that, how they integrated disciple-making into their church. You're going to hear some great things about uh, what he does in terms of correcting people or dealing with with someone he's discipling that's not following through on stuff, as well as just some great things. He has a lot of really good insights uh, about the way Jesus discipled people, and I love it. Here's Dan McNaughton. So we did that. It took basically the fall, and uh, then the whole thing was that those people now were going to pick, prayerfully pick people that they were going to sow their lives into. And I required everybody to disciple a Christian yeah. before they they discipled a, a brand new baby Christian because it's a lot more challenging. Yeah. A lot. Hopefully there's at least a little less a little less mess that you're dealing with. Yeah. Well they're hungrier. That's uh-huh. for sure. Although I'm thinking of the story you told me last time we visited about the the group of uh brand new believers that were so challenging to you because they just obeyed and didn't Oh yeah. <laughs> That was a, that was a training time for me. I thought I was training them. Mm-hmm. That was like my first group. That was it was so funny because we were, this is still in Toronto. I couldn't get any of the like real, you know, wonderful church people to be in my group, and I was kind of frustrated by that. Talking to the Lord about that too, and felt a nudge that I should just whoever will uh-huh. be in my group. And they didn't have to be like a church leader or, a, you know, so, the you know, the people that wanted to be in my group were one guy had been raised Shinto religion. He was Japanese, had uh, his parents, you know, were idol worshipers, basically. And he was in Canada and thought, you know, I'm not in Japan, so I should probably become religious like Canadians are. <laughs> so he shows up at the church, doesn't know a thing about what's going on. And after sitting there for like a year and listening to sermons and stuff, and one day during communion, he gave his life to Christ. So he had just he had just made a decision to follow the Lord not more than a year prior. And about the time that I was started on this big quest, he said to me privately, I met him, I liked him, and he said, "Hey, if you I, if you ever you know have a group or something, I'd love to be in it." So a year later, I said, "You know, when you said that." <laughs> yeah. I was trying to find people for my group. He, he got in it. Uh-huh. And then there was a guy who had been, uh, he had been living with this girl for, I think, four years. They had two kids. And then he gave his life to the Lord and realized he was, he was living in sin. And so he decided to get married. They'd had two more kids, but they were just little. So he's uh-huh. brand new in his faith. He's a locksmith and he was a brown belt in, in judo. Just interesting guy. But he and his family were totally into being in the group. Uh-huh. So it was this mishmash of people coming together. And we I, we, I didn't know what I was doing, but I took one of those curriculums, the discipleship curriculums, and said, okay, so let's let's all agree to, you know, to do this together weekly. And they all said, yeah, that sounds good. And 
one night um, we got together and, and uh, this is really embarrassing, but I think it's good for my soul to admit I did this, that nobody had uh, actually done their, their discipleship stuff, you know, through the booklet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was asking, what did you learn? What did you discover if you did it and whatever? And and they were they were like looking down on the way, you know. And I said, did anybody do it? And they're like, no, we didn't get to it this week. And and unfortunately, I let my anger go at that point. I said, um, you know, look, I I don't need this group. If you're not going to do your homework, I'll find somebody who will. And it was a terrible night. I mean, it just totally messed up the whole evening and. Everybody was, you know, feeling bad and whatever. But interestingly enough, so they're brand new in the Lord. You know, if I had offended Christians, I know what would have happened. <laughs> you know, I mean, these guys were Christians, but I mean, you know, yeah. people in the church. Raised were, in the church, yeah. Yeah, they would have talked about it with a few people and whatever. Just would have been really normal. Oh, we should really pray for him because he's having a hard time with our group. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Call it a prayer request. But these people... We we agreed that if we if we ever offend anybody or sin against somebody, we're gonna we're not gonna talk about it to each other. We're gonna go to them in private. Matthew eighteen. Uh-huh. We're gonna you we're gonna be kind. We're gonna be honoring. We, I taught them the sandwich method. You know, honor the relationship, and then say what you need to say directly and quickly. Don't beat it, and then mm-hmm. let the person respond. And then affirm the relationship at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. So I taught him that. And I, I got, I literally, that happened to me like all week. <laughs> they would call me and say, hey, I just want to set up in a, you know, a luncheon with you. I'll, I'll buy. Uh-huh. They'd take me out and they'd, they would start Matthew 18ing me, you know? Uh-huh. And they would, they would say, you know, you know, you said, you know, I, I want you to know I really value our relationship and I really value our discipleship stuff. But you said something the other night that I was it shocked me. Uh, when we didn't do our homework, you said, you know, you don't need this group. You know, but you had already you had also said that everybody needs a group, even you do. So do you need it? Or do you need us or do you not need us? Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, you are so right. I was so wrong. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I, <laughs> I It was wrong of me to do that. And then then they would be like, it's okay. I mean, we, we need forgiveness too. And they, they were extending grace and doing so uh-huh. great at it, you know? And the next day I have somebody, somebody called else. me, hey, I have lunch and it happened again. It happened like three or four times that week uh-huh. and like stuff like that, that I had never seen in my entire Christian walk, you know, mm-hmm. let alone receive it. Mm-hmm. They taught me more about the other huge thing is that they would read stories about Jesus taking people in their houses and loving them and, you know, and the family of four little kids, brown belt and judo guy, they would just love people and bring them into their house and care for them and lead them to the Lord. And, and I was like, I we don't really want to do that in our house. You know, I had uh-huh. kids, too. And I don't you know, I just don't want to. It's yeah. messy. And but they were they were more surrendered to Christ. And so I was humbled like every week just mm-hmm. about you know by their they're just learning and then just doing what Jesus says. Uh-huh. And so I was deeply challenged. I would say that group was more about me learning and, and, and being humbled and than it was really. And I think it was helpful for them because I think Jesus shows up. Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, they were obeying Jesus. It's got to have been 
it's got to been good for them. Yeah. If you like looking back, I don't know, that's 20 years ago or something, probably. What would you have done in the situation? No one does their homework. Cause there's a certain thing too about like, like if I'm going to disciple you, you, you know, like you've got to be involved too, you know? Yeah. What would you have done differently? Yeah. If you look back now. Well, I do have a way of dealing with that now. It's a lot kinder. Uh-huh. Uh, what else? If, if, if somebody comes and they haven't done something they agreed to do, I'll say, well, it sounds like you had a really busy week and something else became more important. Uh, what was more important for you this week? Mm-hmm. And usually they'll go like nothing. And I'll go, well, now hang on. I'll yeah. say, we always do what we in the moment think is is most important. So what did you give time to that was important to you? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and I would say I, I do it too. I mean, I please don't hear that I'm I'm above you. I mean, but right. we agreed we're going to do this. So I just want to, I and it's totally possible that something else was really important. Yeah. So, and though usually it would be like, well, you know what actually happened is I had to work out like sixty five hours this week. You know, my job because X Y Z happened, and then I was tired when I got home. And so instead of doing this, I watched TV for a while, and so then I said, okay, so so you recovered. There's there's a place in time for that. You know, it's not it's not like you, you know, there's uh-huh. God set apart, uh, you know, a day a week to be a Sabbath. So you just work super hard. And so what do you want to do this week? So that's about how it goes now. So uh-huh. I let them let them look ahead rather than pound them uh-huh. past. Uh-huh. But I asked them, I asked them what was more important, because I think that's a good question to. Uh-huh. Is they it really? Of, yeah, they yeah, were prioritizing Netflix, or they were no, they had a horrible week, and something happened. Yeah, and if they say, "Well, I just wanted to get something to be refreshed by," and I'll be like, "Okay, so, so you think Netflix was a good way to refresh?" Mm-hmm. And then, and then I'll say, "You know, I don't know if this will work for you, but you know, Jesus really said, come to me, all, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest.' Uh huh. So maybe try that next time, you know." Hmm. They're like, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. But it's a lot different from I'm better than you and I don't need this group. And uh-huh. it's still challenging because we, you know, you can't become a follower of Jesus uh-huh. in a marshmallow pit. Right. You know, he, he was challenging them all the time, but it was in love and relationship. And mostly they can. Yeah. But it's harder when I'm recording. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so then going back to your church, how did it, you know, what did it look like two or three years later? Were the people catching it? Was it, was it flowing down? Yeah. Yeah. We developed a, a, a bunch of um, what we called spiritual coaches. Uh-huh. One of the people that I, I don't normally disciple women because I, I, I don't think it's healthy. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of bonding that takes place when you do spiritual coaching. So I don't, I don't do that, but we needed to get it started among the women. And my wife does it, but she wasn't really uh, having time to be the trainer and all of that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so there was a lady who was about 65 or 60 ish that she and her husband uh, moved to the area and she had a big heart for discipleship. So I asked them together if it would be all right if I discipled her, but then we got one other woman uh, mm-hmm. uh, together 
and uh, we did it in one of their houses where it was out in public. Mm-hmm. And then uh, normally, if I were discipling a guy, when we get ready to pray, I'll take their hand, like kind of like a handshake. We pray like that, and I and so I just set boundaries in that relationship, and I just said I'm never gonna like touch you. Mm-hmm. And when you guys get ready to pray, I would disciple both of them at the same time. And when they get ready to pray, I'd say, "You guys now hold hands and mm-hmm. pray for each other," you know. And so that I did two at one time. It's one of the few times I ever did it like that. But mm-hmm. I did that so that we could get it started among the women. Mm-hmm. Well, that lady became our trainer okay. uh, right after that, and then became she really became a multiplier of mm-hmm. of this way of doing it, you know, of spiritual coaches. So it really took off at that point. Um, and then it, it got uh, it went from kind of a formal thing initially so that a lot of people could do it. And then it kind of got weird for like about six months. People would say things. They would come up to me kind of like they were doing something wrong. <laughs> and they would say, you know, uh, you know how we're doing the spiritual coaching thing in the church and stuff. You know, my neighbor attends another church. But when they heard about this, they were asking if I would do this with them. And I I. I agreed to, is that okay? <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. You know, and so it kind of started spreading out. It kind of became a lifestyle for many uh-huh. of them. Yeah. And uh, we stopped keeping track and all that kind of stuff. But we we had people that we could see if they were open to a new believer. So we would... Um, uh-huh. Try to pair people up. or And was that usually happening inside their small group or you're trying to get them... You're in the big group. Let's get you in a small group and connect with somebody who's already, you know, like you're already in their life more anyway. Yeah, that's the best way. It's actually the best way would be that your friend who uh-huh. shared their their life with you, who eventually was part of your coming to Christ. Uh-huh. Um, when you come to the Lord, then they would walk with you. Uh-huh. That's the best way because it makes the most sense. Right. And we were working on that. I, we didn't get fully there because uh-huh. some of the people who were coming to the Lord, it was crazy. The, actually, a new believer can can do what I'm talking about if they stick to asking questions instead of theologizing. Uh-huh. And so, and if they if if they just listen to the Lord together, and then if they refer up if they don't know what to do, so that's uh-huh. kind of what we were doing. We would train them after they had to be go through it themselves with a coach and be growing in all seven attributes uh-huh. and stay in that relationship while they're coaching somebody else. So if they would do that, then they could they could do that as a, like about a nine month follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then they would bring in their coach at times just to say, hey, I know you ask about this. This is my friend. He's been sowing into my life. I thought he maybe could speak into your life about x y and z if that's all right with you you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it became like that yeah yeah which is really good and makes the thing i i think about a lot recently is how just how different if you if you grew up in church how different your life is from somebody that didn't you know it's just you talk different your time's different everything's different and so if someone becomes a believer and then they share that back out in their community you know you can like a lot of times you can extend the gospel more through this lost person because he's the same culture, the same language, the relationships there, but you got to, you got to have the discipleship going. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it should just continue. So Mm -hmm. we would, after they're growing in all seven, what we would say is, 
it's you guys can continue if you want, but you can't not do it yourself. So you have ah. to you have to reproduce this and others, mm-hmm. but we'll stay in contact. So I would reduce it to like initially every couple of weeks instead of every week. Uh, mm-hmm, just to mm-hmm. allow for more time in their schedule. And then usually it would go to about once a month. Uh-huh. It'd be a check-in. And it's the same thing as we would do all the other times. But And then, you know, repeatedly, occasionally we come back for a season to, of retool. Uh, but uh-huh. in that process, what would happen is they would be going through stuff and they knew that they could call me anytime uh-huh. about this person that they were sewing into because they weren't really sure what to do. Or how to respond when they hear confessions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So now you yeah. you kind of gloss over it a couple of times, but you keep talking about like a lot of people are coming to faith, and I just don't feel like that's the experience of most churches. Why? How is that happening? Why was that? Yeah, I just when I looked at Jesus with the thousands, mm-hmm. I noticed how much he had he, he would address disciples about how they should look to <laughs> to everybody else. So that was really challenging to think. You know, the Sermon on the Mount was to thousands, but it was it directed to the disciples. Uh-huh. So it's like this complete alternative lifestyle. That sounds bad to use. I don't mean it like, you know, but right. it was a completely different lifestyle. And he's telling his disciples in front of thousands, your life ought to be like this. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. Right? And just the context of that, it just started making me think. So I started thinking about, well, how, how, where, we, where could we address lost people about what it means to follow Jesus? About six months before uh, we planted uh, Spring Valley, on Sundays, some Sundays, I would go out and pray and, and during service and just meet people just because I wanted to see what was going on and with mm-hmm. people who don't go to church. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of did a survey as we were doing that, uh, and I was asking questions like, what do you think the biggest need is in our community, and why do you think most people don't go to church, and some basic questions like, what kind of music do you listen to, and uh-huh. and uh, I stole this basically right out. I revised it, but most of it, I stole it from uh, Rick Warren's book, uh, Purpose Driven Church. I <laughs> saw this little thing. And, and I thought, well, I'd be really good to just have a survey, you know. So that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And every single lost person that I talked to, when I asked if you were to go to a church, I said, I understand you're saying you don't want to go, but if you if you did, when would be the most likely time for you to go? Every single one of them said Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and that affected me deeply because I thought, well, okay, large gathering. If that's going to be the most likely time for them to come, then I'm going to I'm going to design ninety percent of it for the lost. Mm-hmm. Everything about the experience is going to be for the lost, which is totally different from what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I was just prayerfully working through that, but I didn't want to I didn't want to to make it like easy gospel like kind of thing, right? Because Jesus didn't. No. Is very direct. So, I so anyway. So we did everything around the culture of it to make it inviting, and then we would invite people to all kinds of you know. We we we, we preached in series. We had major invite times that okay. were around like. A, I, I'm an expositional preacher, which means 
that I'm going to take a passage and I'm going to preach that. I'm not going to be all over the planet, you know, mm-hmm. with an idea. I'm going to preach what that passage says in context. Mm-hmm. So, but, but it would be packaged as a felt need of needs that I knew about from people in the community. Uh-huh. Like uh, I did a series called Practical Parenting in the Proverbs because a lot of people want to know how to raise their kids. Mm-hmm. Or I did another one called Wellness for Wells, which was really how to get healthy but the, the physically and spiritually. But I challenged people to fast during that time all everything that you don't need to survive. So I, t- I, I talked about how much food do you need to eat, cut all the sugar, everything that's, you know, all the extra salt, all processed foods, drink only water, no coffee, whatever. And I said, and let's take all of the money that we would have spent and let's uh, pool it all and let's drill a well for people in Africa who can't. Uh, uh-huh. Get healthy water. Yeah. And I preached out of Isaiah 58, uh, which is about fasting and what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to just be for spiritual, you know, just me and Jesus kind of thing. It says, he he's basically says in there, like, if why do you fast if you don't give that to the poor? Mm-hmm. I, I'd never made that connection that you, when you fast, you have money that you would have eaten. Why don't you help the poor with that money? Mm-hmm. So I, that was the connection there. So I kind of I tapped into I want to get healthy uh-huh. with I want to do it with purpose. Uh-huh. And and then why don't we let's do something in the world that will help somebody else get healthy uh-huh. around a passage of scripture. So I we did a bunch of those. Uh-huh. But it was things that you knew that community. Yes. Of lost people were interested in or talking about. Yeah. And then when I preached. I always had three different groups of people in mind. Uh, and I would preach about 70% of the time to the person who doesn't yet know Jesus. I would address mm-hmm. them. I'd say, you know, you're, if you're, you're here and you're not even sure what you think of the whole God thing, you're in the right place. You got lots of questions. You don't even know if God exists. You're, you're in the right place. You ought to be able to ask those kind of questions in churches. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm glad you're here and you, you don't have to, you don't have to believe to stay. Mm-hmm. You can you can hang out with us and you can be our friend and we we just we want to be around you and we want we may not be able to answer all your questions but we we want you here uh-huh. and and then so but I would preach to them I'd say you know if you if you're maybe the words of Jesus are are shocking you you know you're you're saying wow this is not like anybody in my culture you know right but it wasn't like anybody in theirs either Jesus was a shock to everybody if you're attracted to him you probably want to follow him. Uh-huh. You know. And then that was one person and then the second person that we would preach to would be the brand new follower of Jesus cuz they needed food right away. Right. And then then when and then about 10% of the time it would be to the the person who's a follower of Jesus, but it would be very direct. Like uh-huh. Jesus would be uh, uh-huh. to the you know, it'd say if you're a follower of Jesus, let me describe what your life should look like. Uh-huh. In front of all these lost, lost people. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's it. So we did that. And at the end of those messages, we would say, I would say, I would I always gave people an opportunity mm-hmm. to make a decision to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I think because we loved them and we were open, they didn't have to we also let them be involved a little bit in service. 
not in teaching or not with the kids, uh-huh. but like we were set up and tear down uh-huh. hundreds of people, but we had to set up and tear down every week. Uh, we did a food thing with a local food pantry uh-huh. and we would challenge people to go there and, you know, help them organize and hand out food and uh, stuff like that. You know, that we'd say, Hey, get involved, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Come be around us. Do what we yeah. do. Uh-huh. Be yeah. part of us. And so we would see people coming to faith, but over time, uh-huh. yeah, not always in a moment. Like I was raised like, okay, when did you come to Christ? Well, I remember that day, right? Uh-huh. Right. More like they knew they were a follower of Jesus, but they had the kind of points along the way where they knew there was something changing. Yeah. I made it deeper. And yeah. it seems like I've never really spent much time in the Northeast, but I, it seems like they're much more skeptical and. Oh yeah. And so that it takes some time to. Yeah. Not yeah, they're very direct usually. If they're not interested, they'll tell you. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. interested. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you seem pretty confident that you're not interested. Well, what? How did you get there so quickly? You know. Uh-huh. So you kind of you don't have to be you don't have to be defensive when they're direct. You just you you you're curious. Uh huh. Say wow, you you know you're con-, like if somebody said they were an atheist, I'd say wow, you're that's amazing. You know, how did you become an atheist? And I said, and then they'll be like, why? And I'll say, well, there's usually a story attached right. to atheism. And I said, you're more confident than me. And I, I, it's interesting, you know, James, I, you probably don't know this about me, actually. And I don't mind that people know now, but I went through a really significant season of, of uh, struggling with faith. Hmm. So when I was actually in high school, for a variety of reasons, uh, became a quiet agnostic. Okay. And I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings and... So I didn't Uh tell people because I didn't want to hurt my parents. And, uh, uh, but during that season, so like, but I, I could never be an atheist because there's too much order in the planet, you know, Uh studied, you know, uh, Darwinism, Darwinian evolution. And it it didn't make sense. I couldn't, I couldn't put enough of the gaps together. So, so when somebody says they're an atheist, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You know, uh-huh. you're, you're confident you, you, you're, you're amazing. Cause I, I could never get there. Uh-huh. So there's a dialogue. So like, that's what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you have a lot of that in the Northeast. You have a lot of it in Europe too. Uh-huh. It's fun to see people like that, make a decision to follow Jesus. Yeah. And then I guess your people in your church, they were kind of also reaching out that same way. And, yeah, and we, a lot of them would invite their friends because they knew that if they came, we weren't going to judge them, and they uh, would hear the gospel, get an opportunity, and it was a really fun environment too. Like we, you know, we did a lot of things to make the environment interesting, but uh, mm-hmm. that'll have to be for another time. Time, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it will. Um, maybe last question for today then. So you, I know you're doing, you're still doing spiritual coaching. You have another book on spiritual coaching. What do you, someone, again, they're, they're, most of our listeners are followers. They're, they're the, they're the top 20% that do everything in the church, maybe sometimes pastors, but a lot of times lay people. They want to get started in discipleship. Where do you have them jump in? What's, when someone's like that? I mean, the ideal is it, well, let me just let you ask, answer that. Well, I do get asked this a lot. So it's, I, I find, honestly, if, if two people, will commit to do it together. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I please don't hear this as a kind of a 
like a, trying to sell my book. Okay. But right. this is what we do. I'll, I'll get two people that together I'll say, okay, what you, what you could do is together just agree to read through the book first, learning to follow Jesus mm-hmm. and, and just, just do it yourself. Answer the questions, write your answers in the book and then, and then talk together about it uh-huh. uh, while you're doing it and just see what you can get out of it. Just the first round uh, together. And then after you've kind of done that around, then then get a copy of the spiritual coaching toolkit and do that with each other mm-hmm. and take this you take the same stuff that you did. But now just use that to kind of guide you through how you would learn how to, you know, listen while somebody else is mm-hmm. is. Uh, is sharing what God is doing in their life and then always pray together. It's all in the, the little, it's a booklet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as I say, do it with the same person, but I would I recommend reading the book first and doing it before you try to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, just experience that first and then come back and then it'll explain some of that. And then if people will be like, I still don't feel like I kind of have it, you know, and we, we actually have a video series that okay. teaches you better how to be a spiritual coach. Mm-hmm. And that, I would do that with a, a group of, it, you could do it with two people, but it'd be better if you had six or eight people that are kind of practicing right there. Uh-huh. Where, where can someone get a hold of those videos if they want them? You know, it, you can send me an email. I didn't put them out on our website yet. Okay. <laughs> There's several reasons, but uh, mm-hmm. they're not there. But you you can get the, the books at learningtofollow.net, mm-hmm. just spelled out, learningtofollow.net. But if you want to, if you want the videos, you can just email me at, at uh, daniel at learningtofollow.net. Mm-hmm. And the the videos are, you know, if it, depending on, it sounds funny, depending on the life situation, the people getting them. Normally, they're supposed to sell for $100. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. But if, if uh, somebody's having a, a financial crisis, let me know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, you know, because I, I just want to see it happen. You know, right, right. They weren't cheap to make. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the Lord's blessed us. So, yeah, he has. And I really like the way I think going back to when you said like writing the book in some way messes it up. Yeah. And I think it's my opinion. It's because it turns it into a curriculum or like, oh, you just go through this and you got it. And it doesn't have the relational aspect. And yeah. I think like when you wrote it, it was for your church and people were in the they were in that relationship because you guys were already having that going and so it becomes a great tool to use but without it it becomes another okay i read that now what do i do right so i think that's great jump in with somebody else and get started you know and yeah it's kind of like trajectories think about it like do you did you ever see those those barrels like um like where there are wood slat and they've got the metal ring around the uh-huh. top uh-huh you know, and like if, if you have one of them that's only partially, like it's broken, you can uh-huh. fill water up and it can go up to that one. One spot. One spot. You know, you, it, but I find that we need all of those seven attributes in our lives. We actually need those those things, those trajectories in our lives. And we'll only be as mature as our lowest attribute. Uh, uh-huh. And so you're always kind of growing, you know, you're, you're, you're like, you might... Yeah be a lot of a lot of listening but you're not doing much sharing christ you know uh-huh you might need to be working on that for a while so that it gets 
Yeah, so you, you can know, raise so your water level. Kind of giving, yeah, uh -huh. infants, different things. And if you're not discipling people eventually, you, uh, you, you become a real, just a kind of like an out-of-shape fat baby, you know. Mm -hmm. It's awful. Yeah, you know? it is. I lied. I'm going to ask you one more question. How do you know when you've made a disciple? Well, we're all becoming a disciple. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm convinced that a disciple is one who wants to become one. Mm -hmm. But I believe that we have enough to make disciples when we're growing in all seven attributes. Uh -huh. That's what we would look for. Yeah. Do you have a plan and are you regularly growing in each of those seven things? Uh -huh. uh, time with Jesus. Uh, you're hearing his word and applying it. You're learning to heal. You're learning to influence. You're learning to love. You're learning to pray. And you're learning to manage. Mm -hmm. Intentionally growing in those, and you're you're ready. If you if you have somebody who you you're accountable to, you're ready to pour your life into somebody else. Uh huh. And yeah. keep growing. You know. Yeah, along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I really appreciate your time as always, and uh, sometime we'll pick your brain again. Oh, you know what? This has been a wonderful time, James. And I, I just consider it an incredible honor to join your, your listeners. And hopefully there's something that they'll get out of this that'll just help them love Jesus and follow him more. You know, that's really what this is all about. Well, wasn't that a great interview? I hope you loved it. I'll put some things down in the notes to the show. I have links to his books and links to their website. Really encourage you to check out some of those and to reach out to them on their website if there's something they can do for you. And we appreciate you guys listening to this. Hope you have a great day. Hope you get a chance to do some activity of disciple making today. God bless you and we'll see you next time. 